Good morning. Happy fall harvest. I mean, the ground's been worked, the seeds have been planted, right? The, the plants have been watered, they've come up, the harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. <laughs> so this is that time of year. It happens to be um, one of my favorite times of years as well. My brothers and I affectionately refer to the fat man time of the year, right? Because now you can try to cover it with longer clothes, Right, you've got the extra insulation to weather the changes pretty easily. So I absolutely love fall. I'm getting to dislike winter, right? But part of harvest is getting all that food and getting ready to go through the long, dark winter. So as we've finished up this season, to come, as Seth mentioned, we are very close to finishing Genesis. And I hope that it's really blessed you as you've gone through that. Right, to see sort of this beginning right, of God's actions all the way through to the end of Genesis, which is the fulfillment of some of his plans. And before I get started today, I figured we would just start kind of warm into it easy with a little trivia. So those of you that know me know I'm a child of the 80s. So I'll just say, who is this? A-Team, right? Everybody gets this, right? And this is the TV series, not the horrible remake movie money grab, right, that came afterwards. <laughs> this is the original, but let's see it, how many people we know. Um, so, person on the left. Mr. T, right? We've got that. Anybody remember his name in, in the show? B.A. Baracus, right? Very good. Okay, how about the guy in the middle up the top first? Murdoch, right? Mad Murdoch, Dwight Schultz, little known fact, graduated from Calvert Hall here, one of the actors, right? Local person, actually went to school with Monkle, so that's how we know him. How about this handsome looking person all the way on the right? Face, right? Or face man. Dirk Benedict, right. Everybody remember he was the heartthrob during that time. Battlestar Galactica is where he really cut his, uh, I'm going back a little bit for that. And how about that last man in the middle sitting down low? Hannibal Smith, right. When I said it was Hannibal, my wife was like, Hannibal, what, wait a minute, wasn't that? Because she's a Science of the Lambs fan, so that's a different Hannibal, right? This is Hannibal Smith, uh, a colonel. How about some catchphrases for him? That's definitely Hannibal, right? Pity the fool, right? And that one, it was interesting because it started, I think, with Rocky and went right on through, right? So pity the fool through there. Everybody know what faces was? Pretty close. Every fight. Not in the face, <laughs> right? Or his other one that he was famous for saying through the whole thing was, I'm allergic to bullets. <laughs> so, get those. I can't remember any for Murdoch. I tried to look it up and see if he had a catchphrase, but we didn't find any. He was just generally crazy all the time. You couldn't predict him, right? But it was funny, the plan, right? I love it when a plan comes together, is the last, is really why I decided to put some of this up there. Do you love it when a plan comes together? Right? I definitely do, especially if it's a long, intricate plan that comes to fruition. There's just something special about that, right? If any of you have played chess, 
right? There's two real ways to play chess. One is reactive. You just go and react to what's going on and see how you go through. And then there's the, the chess champions method that have all these different strategies. They set up, they guard different areas, right? They have plans and they bring these plans together. And they love it when their plan comes together, but there's things that can fool the plan. Well, not so with God's plans, right? His can never be foiled. His plans will never be thwarted. His plans always come to fruition. And here where we find ourselves in Genesis today, really in 47, is the culmination of everything we've seen, right, to this point of Joseph bringing his brothers to the court of Pharaoh. I'm going to go through here with you today, and I'm really going to show you God's plans fulfilled as we go in each section of Scripture. So the first thing we're going to look at is we'll do verses 1 to 6. Pull that apart, and that's really God's plan to provide. right? Next is God's plan to bless, and we'll see that in verses 7 to 12. And then God's plan to prosper... We'll see in verses 13 to 28. And God's plan for the future, we'll see in 29 and 31. So before we jump into the scripture, just bow your heads with me and allow me to, the privilege of praying for us. Heavenly Father, truth be told, when we look around today, it seems like the whole world is endlessly spiraling into becoming more and more evil. All the days, all the minutes are evil. Seems that in large masses, people run from you. They run away to their own devices. They run away from the things that are noble and true. Father, they, they run to things that feel good to them. Today, Father, we run to you. We come in here today in many different circumstances. As Jess mentioned, some of us feeling really tired. Others maybe feeling refreshed at the beginning of a week, hopeful, ready to move forward. Others feeling worn out, beaten down. Maybe they're in a valley. Maybe they're in a peak. But Father, we come to you here today, not just to please solve all of our issues, our problems, to give us as that great benefactor that you are, all of our wants and needs, but truly, Father, to sit in all of you, for you are our strong tower, our refuge from the day. Father, you were the one who sets truth and truth that is unending that we can count on where nothing will come against it. Father, you are faithful and true, and we worship you today. Father, as we look into your word, we just thank you that we have that to count on, to learn from, to hide in our heart so that we might not sin against you. Father, we ask that today you would give us clarity. You would help us to see you and your spirit in every word. And that, Father, we would live out our lives to point to your wondrous glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so turn with me, if you will, Genesis 47, verses 1 to 6. I'll start here. So verse 1, so Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, 
my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now let's take a pause here first and just understand the scene. right? Jonathan set us up kind of two weeks ago when he was talking about this, but don't let this be lost on you. Joseph's brothers and his father are being brought and having a direct audience with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is considered a god at that day. Pharaoh, right, arguably is the most powerful person in the world at their time. And here's Joseph's father and family coming in to have a direct audience with this man. Why? Because of their own merit? Because they won a lottery? No, they're brought there because of the relationship that Joseph has built over our time with this Pharaoh. Right? Don't let that be lost on you. It's a very important thing. None of them could come and none of them would have ever been given an audience with Pharaoh. They would have never gotten to this moment if not for Joseph. But let's go on. Right? We see these answers Pharaoh says to his brothers. And if you back up right before this in the end of 46, you'll see that these answers that they give are the practiced answers. Right? Joseph's already covered with them. Joseph knows Pharaoh. Joseph tells them exactly how to behave for Pharaoh. Right? Tells them what questions to ask, what answers to give that's going to be happening. He, in essence, prepares them to go visit Pharaoh. Why does he have to do this? Yeah, think about this a second. Who are Joseph's brothers? I mean, who were they really? Right? They're shepherds. Come through here. They're homeless wanderers, <laughs> right, from their land. They're nobody special. But at least they're great men of character, right? Heck no. Right? They're about the worst. Sold their little brother into slavery. They had plans to murder him, right, to begin with. Right? They lie several times along the way through many of the stories. Right? In essence, his brothers are just like you and I. Right? We can all identify with them in many different ways. Maybe not the murder. Right? Although the word tells us right, that if we are literally casting dispersions at people, we've murdered them in our heart. 
right? So here's these despicable people, if you will, coming before Pharaoh because of Joseph. And I love what they say, right? His brothers answer that they are, first off, they say, your servants are shepherds. Right? What's the posture that everybody goes before a king? Right? Do you go before a king haughty? Look at me, right? Here I am. Do you go for your boss at work that way? No, you come in a posture, right, of submission. You go before someone, and here they say, your servants. They're instantly communicating, hey, we are in submission to you. Whatever you tell me, right, we're here to serve you. And they say, are shepherds. Well, in 46, right beforehand, it tells you shepherds are not regarded well in Egypt. In fact, during the time, they really weren't regarded well. It's considered a, kind of a trashy job. Right? You have to take care of animals. You have to deal with their excrement. The food that they ate were not what you would call appetizing by human standards. Right? They had to clean out pens, keep them going. The animals stink. They bite. They kick. Right? Not so for a civilized society such as the Egyptians. Right? Ones that studied and labored about their intellectualism at times. They were builders and engineers. The pyramids and obelisks attest to that. Right? Some of their knowledge still to this day is thought completely lost because you can't explain how they built that with the technology of the time of the day. And here are these lowly shepherds come to them. And they say to Pharaoh, what? We have come to sojourn in the land. What's this word sojourn? Oh, you don't have to explain that, Bill. We use that word all the time. I was just telling my people, my peeps at work, we're going to go sojourn down at the club. No, we don't use that word. <laughs> right? That word sojourn really means to sort of travel through. Right? It's almost like uh, I'm a wanderer in the land. I'm homeless. <laughs> right? So they're, they're saying, in all truth, hey, we're shepherds, and we've come to sojourn in your land, meaning we're just passing through, right? No threat to you. We're just going to come travel through, and that's how we're here, and, and Joseph's here, right? We're not asking for much, and that's the practice answer, but then look, right? They add something on the end of it that they didn't practice, that blue. What do they do? They kind of jump the gun, don't they? And they say right away, very presumptuous, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So wait a minute, you just went from sojourning, walking through my land, into now you want to dwell here? You want to stay? Has anybody had that happen to you as a family or known something like that? My brother, right, when he was a teenager, had a friend and this friend wound up being homeless, Jamie, and he asked my mom if Jamie could just stay a couple of things on his way somewhere else. Turned out Jamie wound up living with us for like three months or something like that. Right? Very similar type situation though. Right? I know, I've heard some stories from others who have done the same thing. Because of your heart, hospitality, and the things that our Heavenly Father does for us, it's hard to say no to people, right? We want them to come in. We have people who sojourn that you provide hospitality to. That's the picture here. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. 
The land of Egypt is before you. What does he mean when he says that? It's not necessarily before the way we think of before, right? As in this happens before and then this happens. Before is like him saying, all the land of Egypt is under your control. It's before you. All of it is for you to do what you will. Pharaoh shows continued again and again his trust and his relationship that he has with Joseph. Joseph has that full access from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him over and over again, we've just learned through several of these messages, right, that he said, do what you will, Joseph. Right, I give all of this to you. That's what's happening here. But then he goes even further. And this part should really blow your mind. He says, settle your father and your brothers. Where? In this extra land that I have sitting over here, right, for anybody that happens to come. Right, you can go live in the basement like Jamie did, right, because we had some extra room down in the basement. No, he doesn't say that. Pharaoh shows this unbelievable grace and says, in the best of the land, let me do that. Now, I will submit to you that I have a personal theory here that I think you would agree with, and that is that Pharaoh probably didn't give anybody who asked the best of the land. Pharaoh also probably didn't give anybody that came through, no matter how impressive they were, the best of the land. He's given the best of the land again because of why? Because of Joseph and how much he loves Joseph. Right? And because he loves Joseph, he is putting the best of the land on Joseph's family. No matter that they're murderers. Right? No matter that they plotted against Joseph. No matter that they're liars, cheats, swindlers, will say anything. Right? That they don't have anything really that they can bring to the king here. And then he goes on further. He tells Joseph, hey, if any of them can be trusted, go ahead and put them in charge of my livestock. It's almost like he's saying, if any of them are like you, <laughs> put them in charge. Right? It's worked out here before. So he sees Joseph's brothers, how? Like Joseph. It's really cool, all of this. But let's not stop there. Let's go on with God's plan to bless a little bit. And I'll read 7 to 12. So verse 7, then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days and years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days and years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents." How awesome. Now, I want you to focus here on Jacob. We learned a lot about Jacob, right, up until this point. He, much like his offspring, right, did not live the best of life. 
Think about the wrestling. Think about all the stuff with Isaac, right? Think about all the things with his wives, right? And how all that went. Think about how he dealt and sent Joseph to go spy on his brothers that ended up with Joseph, right, being sold off. I mean, he did not live the greatest of life. And in verse 7, we see this interesting thing taking place, right? It says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How? The scripture's not real specific here. Right, but I found myself going, well, how could he really bless? You've got to speculate a little bit here. Right? You know the words right, but you don't see anything in here that he could necessarily bless. Or do you? Right? Is there a little bit? So we go on to 8. Pharaoh says to Jacob, how many, year, or how many are the days and the years of your life? Why would he say this? Right? Well, Jacob could have been looking pretty scruffy about that time, right? It could have been helped in, come on in. Wow, man, how old are you? Could be. You're speculating. I don't think so. During that time, it was a widely held belief that how old you become was a sign of divine acceptance, divine reward, right, upon your life. So those who lived long lives and prospered were those that the Lord blessed for some reason. And I want you to see if Pharaoh's asking him about that. Whoops. If Pharaoh's asking him about how long have you lived, right, this is a great time for Jacob to say, I'm very old. The Lord's blessed me greatly. Right, I've been able to do all these things. But what does he do? Right, he says the days and years of my sojourning are 130 Few and evil have been the days and years of my life. He comes clean. At this point of the story, we see a Jacob that's come through all the life who now understands the sojourning, meaning this is not my end. Little different than walking through, right? This is not my path. My father sojourned too, right? This is just on my way to some other place in my life, and I've been evil. I haven't lived up to my fathers. Right? My fathers were great men, great men of the nation. They lived for a ripe old age. Not me. So, because of one, his realization, and being able to look back, right, he has a sober view of his life now, in comparison. Because of two, he can answer absolutely truthfully without fear because of what? Joseph. He's just seen Pharaoh deal graciously with the rest of his family because of how much he loved Joseph. If he's a bad man, does that change how much the Pharaoh loved Joseph? No. Does he have to be afraid of being put to death? Maybe, but even that you could reasonably expect. I'm probably going to get a pardon because of Joseph, right? And how much Pharaoh loved Joseph. So there could be many reasons that you would speculate, but all of them 
you can see come to play in here. And then verse 10, Jacob blessed Pharaoh again. Bookend, beginning and end. So, okay, Bill, I get those parts, but how is Jacob blessing Pharaoh? Through here. My speculation is in a couple of different ways. The first way is in perspective. Because the sojourning's in there again, right? He's blessing Pharaoh because his perspective is these days are not all there is. Right? All of these days have been a benefit to me and have come through, but they're not all there is. I have something extra to look forward to. I think he's also blessing Pharaoh with his humility. He's not pretentious. He's not lying to Pharaoh. He's blessing him that way. Some scholars will tell you he was blessing him as a greeting, right? Just a simple greeting. And maybe that was the case too, but I think the emphasis there, the bookends, are to have us continue to look in here and maybe speculate a little bit. And then another aspect of that is he's blessing him, and maybe the least obvious, through his offspring again. Right? The, the Pharaoh is meeting this man who was the father of Joseph, who he loves at the time, right? And who saved his kingdom from famine, but more than saved his kingdom from famine, brought him great wealth. Right, increased his power, saved his people, his nation, right, made him look wiser in the way. Joseph was so faithful to Pharaoh, right, that he probably is just blessed by. Let me see this man where he came from, and then to know even further. Oh wow, he didn't even come from anybody special. <laughs> Sounds a little strange, right, on the surface, but let that sink into you later on. Right, how that can be a blessing to a wise man in power of where they're at. Okay. And let's just not stop there. We'll continue to look at Pharaoh's response right, through. So we mentioned the blessings a part, but you see Joseph then going to execute Pharaoh's blessing. And when he gives that, it says he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. That possession is ownership in the land of Egypt, right? Ownership, wow. So I'm not just coming through getting a place to stay. That would have been like my family giving Jamie a house next door, right? And here's the title and deed, because you need to. It blows your mind for the graciousness that's involved here. But then it goes on, right? And it says, in the best of the land... So not just giving them a house, but giving them the very best house, right where Pharaoh and the families of Pharaoh live. And then it says he provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now we're going to find out why this is real important. He's providing them food for this part of the blessing, right? Not just sustenance. Let's see why it's a little different for what he's doing for them versus everybody else. And we'll move on and look at God's plan to prosper in verses 13 to 28. So 13 says, Now there was no food in all the land, 
for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money in Pharaoh's house. So when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. If your money's gone. So they bought or brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die. It says, and that the land may not be desolate. So let's look at that food. First off, there was no food in all the land. So all the Egyptians, everybody else, could get no sustenance. And they go through this part where they exchange every possession that they have so that they can live. Their money, their livestock, until finally they say, I have no more possessions, but I want to live, so buy me. And they buy them from there. None of those things did Joseph's brothers have to do. They were given food. Went for their blessing. They didn't have to sell their livestock and their flocks. They didn't have to go through right, and try to barter. They didn't become slaves in the land of Egypt that way by, by selling themselves in there. Right? No food in the land. And Joseph collected this wealth as he supplied the Egyptians' needs. Now, can you imagine, verse 16 says that he collects the livestock. Can you imagine what it was like to see all those animals increasing during this time? All right. I mean, it already talked about all the warehouses earlier when we did this study that they had to build for all this grain that they were going to keep. Think about all the barns they had to build. Right? Lisa will tell you from Trunk or Treat, building one little barn thing is pretty hard. Right? How about if you had to build big store barns? Right? Huge, huge undertaking. But then all these animals come in. Right? These animals would have created a tremendous need to be cared for, fed, have all their excrement shoveled out and dealt with, right? All the pens maintained and fresh. Man, how about in Egypt, let's get the master shepherds to go do that? Oh, wait a minute. Is there any shepherds in Egypt that we could pay to do this? Joseph's brothers. So he set them up. Right? He set them up for the very best. They're being fed, and they have the most desirable job in Egypt during this time, arguably. Right? They're needed. They're needed by people. They have instant job, and it's something that they're good at. 
Well, let's look as things go on. Verse 20, Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. So Joseph's brothers and priests... Don't lose the significance there, right? The nation of Israel, God's holy people, set apart as priests, the mediators, the go-betweens, right, to reach out to the nations, right? I will bless all the nations of the earth through your offspring. Remember back, right, and the, and the promises to Abraham and then Isaac, right, and then Jacob himself woken up, reminded of all of these things. He's blessing these people in Egypt, who would have died. They'd be gone. If not for these practices and God's intervention through this bloodline. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to the Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households. And as food for your little ones. Now, I don't think that the Bible is political. But some of you are going to take a political inference from what I'm about to say and point out here. Okay? This is government welfare. Taking care of your people. But I want you to see God's plan through Joseph. Taking care of your people. He didn't just give them food to feed from that and make them slaves. He gave them jobs so that they could feed themselves, right? And took a portion back for the government to run. It's God's plan. And in that way, God is still lifting up these non-believers. He's blessing these non-believers. They didn't have to do this. He's giving them livelihoods. He's allowing them to feed themselves. It's a perfect picture of the grace that's there, and the work in saving them. And what did they say? No thanks, we don't want it. No, they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147. What a change in events. Right? And here's these people. They were faced with death. They understood true and real, we will die. They understood that they, were, that they were starving. They understood that they had no means of feeding themselves, right? And then they understood what grace was in being saved back and bought back by Pharaoh. So the last is God's plan for the future. In verse 29, it says, And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, 
If now I've found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place, he answered. I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. And what I'll note in here really for you is the green. Israel bowed. Fulfilling the dream that Joseph had in the very beginning when he went to his father and said, I saw all my brothers and you bowing before me. Full circle. God's plans not thwarted, but God's plans, right, to prosper, basically to provide, to bless, to prosper, and then that future, being able to give that. Sounds a lot like another verse, right? Like, I know the plans I have for you, right? They're plans to prosper you. (laughs) There's a reason, right? And the worship team can make their way to the stage now while I go through this. But Joseph was meant to be that picture of Christ to the Israelites, right? They were promised a Savior, and and though the Israelites needed a vision of what an earthly Savior would save their lives look like, God in his infinite grace had in mind to bless them in a very eternal way. And the same is for you and I today. So Joseph is a picture of Christ, and Pharaoh the picture of God as a source of blessing through Christ, and Jacob, the chosen people of Israel, then who are we to identify with in the story? Do we identify with the Egyptians? Maybe. I don't know the state of your soul today, but the Egyptians are meant to picture the secular world, right? Those who need saving and those that eventually will bow the knee, right? Every tongue will confess, right, that they need saving and they sell out to Christ in the end for everything they have, everything they're worth, right? Some of those with the power of the Holy Spirit will confess him as Lord and be saved and have life. No, I don't think that's really us, though. Most of us sitting in here that would call us believers, you and I and other believers, we're to be compared to Joseph's brothers in the story. Right, we're the lying, despicable murderers who left to our own devices, would murder Jesus just to get him out of our life. Right, we would sell him off for the slightest worldly gain And so that, by comparison, we don't look so bad. We don't want to be constantly compared to his perfectness. Then once calamity and tough times are worse yet, we take that gifted few days of our lives and we make them, like Jacob said, right, evil. We come crawling back to him, saying, save us, save us. And although we don't deserve it, Jesus gives his entire life to please the Father first and provide for us that eternal place in heaven. He lived that perfect life in service to the Father, fulfilling the prophecies, gathering all the possessions for the Father so that the Father can lavish them all on us through Jesus. And it doesn't matter how bad we are, it doesn't matter what we do, all of that lavished gifts, 
praises, possessions, prosperous. Why is it given to us? The same like Joseph, because of the Father's love for Jesus, right? he imparts it to us. Now, if that doesn't make you feel low, <laughs> I don't know what does. Augustine said it made him feel like a worm when he thought about that. He can bring nothing before God, and Jesus did everything for us. But that's only part of the gospel. The good news is that today, if you haven't turned yourself over, if you haven't sold all your possessions, your livestock, your good, your family, and then yourself and sold out to Jesus, today you can. So bow your heads with me today, no matter what state. If this is the first time you're praying this or you're praying this again and meaning it through different understanding and the unction of the Holy Spirit. You just say, Heavenly Father, I see Jesus and his perfectness and all that he did for me, and I am a sinner in comparison. A sinner so far separated from him that his ways are like the heavens are above the earth, and I could never hope by anything that I did to gain my way into an audience with you. But I'm told through Jesus that I have that, and I have your love through him and that he bought and paid for me. Father, I love Jesus. I want him to come into my life. I want to sell all my possessions. I want to be and give him everything that I am. I want to be his servant. Father, from this point forward, would you come into my life and make that happen? Father, I thank you that your word tells me that whoever asks, right, it will be given to him. I thank you that your word says that you knock on the door and if we open that door, you'll come in and dine with them and be with us. Father, I thank you for your plan of salvation. I love it when a plan comes together and today it comes together in my life. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.